The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back for part two of our discussion of the offense against the Rams. And here to join us for that is our friend Josh Reed from Anchorage, Alaska. We're doing this in the middle of the night. It is 3.14 a.m. as we start this second show. But, Josh, really appreciate having you on, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's only 11.19 p.m. up here, so I'm, I'm, I'm a night owl, as, a, as, a, as I know you are, too. So I'm, I'm, I'm still up. Yeah, very much. It's nice to nice to be kind of semi-retired at this point. My my work schedule completely revolves around what I do with football here, so uh, uh, all of the things are, are kind of secondary in that regard. Uh, but I think we'll jump in. We'll talk about the offensive line here. Then we'll do some individual player uh, reviews after that. Uh, at a high level, the offensive line responsible for one of the two sacks in the game. The other one was really on uh, Keaton Mitchell. In terms of a block we talked about in the first episode. By the way, didn't listen to the first episode? Go back. Some terrific insight from Josh on a number of things. Uh, 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 he, I know he and I both get excited at the pony backfield in particular. We talked a little bit about Hill's responsibilities as a pass blocker and why that drove kind of the r- division of running back snaps in the game. We talked a lot about Lamar's game, uh, some of the things that that he did. We we bitched a lot about the clock management at the on the Ravens uh, go-ahead touchdown drive that uh, should have probably ended the game and didn't. Uh, and we kind of talked about the OT rotation a little bit that I'm sure we're going to get more into in, in, in this half. But uh, I think a worthwhile listen and uh, always fun to talk football with Josh. Yeah, Ken, we can just jump right into it. I'm starting from, starting from left to right. Just tell me how Ronnie Stanley performed. 
Yeah, you know, Ronnie's having a difficult season, and he was better in this game. I'm going to take some heat for this, I'm sure, but it is the way it is. I've got my feelers out to PFF to figure out how they've got him for only one pressure in this game because I have him for four. Um, This was more, though, of the classic Ronnie Stanley that we saw in the 2019 season as a guy who's even when he's getting for beat for a pressure, most of those pressures are proximity pressures where he's getting backed into Lamar. Lamar, as we know, takes a bump very well. You don't want to get his leg stepped on like like Trevor Lawrence did or like Stanley did on top. So Lamar's foot, you know, uh, the last game, I guess, against the Chargers with Khalil Mack uh, really bearing down on him. But he gave up four pressures, as, as I had, all proximity pressures by Bull. Uh, had three missed blocks, two losses at the line of scrimmage. The one block that I think I hope he'd want to have back and is one of the ones you really need to avoid at all costs because this could have ruined the Ravens for the playoffs if it had worked out the way it is is he blocked his man across the the um, line of scrimmage and into the back of the legs of Simpson, Linderbaum, and Zeitler all on the same play. And they, every one of those guys went down in a single heap. And, you know, that's how the roll-ups occur, that you're really better off letting Jackson take a hit than letting three offensive linemen potentially take hits on the back of their legs on, on the same play. Even one offensive lineman taking a hit on the back of their legs at, 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 on the same play. But that was a very dangerous-looking play. Yeah, I mean, that's a play that he's been injured on before. In, in yes, his past. exactly. Somebody, somebody going into in the back of his legs or on, on rolling over his ankle. So, yeah, that's, that's definitely one you got to be wary of. Five blocks in level two, no pancakes, one out of one on his pulls, and no highlights in this game for him. It's a C game, uh, only .02 short of a B minus, which makes it about his second best game of the year so far. And uh, I do think that some of the rest did him well. He sat out for 14 snaps, and McCarry rotated in for two series, one in each half. I think it was a, a good plan that they used for both tackles. I think it, it probably helped him. But I'm for, frankly, all ideas are on the table right now for how to get the most out of Ronnie at left tackle for the snaps you can have him and to maximize that that amount of play you get him for him and the quality of play uh, getting on the efficient frontier there. Uh, Joe D'Alessandros apparently had this idea to, to do this rotation scheme. Yeah, people forget that it's kind of the strategy they used with Ronnie last year. I mean, like when he when he first got back, you know, from when he finally got activated, you know, he wasn't doing a full workload. He was rotating. And the stronger he got, the more confident he got, the healthier he got, the better he played down the stretch. So I'm all for, you know, doing this, you know, semi-rotation or, you know, like rotations giving them a few a, a series or two off, you know, kind of kind of staggeredly if it means, you know, getting the best Ronnie when they need him most, which is going to be down the stretch into the playoffs. You know, you don't want to go with a nagging injury, a nag knee injury to be putting more pressure, more snaps on that knee than he absolutely has to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely agree. And and I think uh, it's a it, very bold move. I think they, they kind of felt like they had to do something. And, I, you know, it, what I like about it from the way it sounds is that it was Dallas Sanders's idea. So uh, this may have been, you know, a, a Harbaugh going to the group and saying, hey, let's Let's have some ideas on how we can deal with the with with the tackle situation right now in terms of these guys breaking down physically. How can we do it? And uh, you know, Dallas Andrus uh, was credited with with this idea, and I think it's good that that Harbaugh, you know, is not trying to take credit for the idea. He's he's, he's crediting the right guy for it, and and it's more about how did he come to that conclusion? Did he ask for ideas from his from his coaches, or did did Dallas Andrus just offer it? Either one is good. Uh, but I think it might be even better if Harbaugh is sending that idea to committee and saying, hey, g- give me your best idea. Everybody come up with your best idea to get Ronnie Stanley healthy through the rest of the season. And uh, and we'll talk about that. 
Yeah, I, I really, I really do think and believe and appreciate how the Ravens do so many things so collaboratively, where it's not just hey, sit this guy, start this guy, and you know, you, the ownership is ownership doesn't 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 meddle, and you know, coaching the coaching staff, the, the head coach isn't overbearing. He really likes his. He really uh, delineates um, his his the the his responsibilities and, and you know the prop the, the, the individual coaches. It kind of lets them run their rooms, and I really believe that you know like. They probably did have those means like, hey, you know, what can we do to help Ronnie? You know, like we have a quality, you know, uh, backup left tackle and Patrick McCary. You know, it's not like, you know, we got, you know, Joe Bagadonis coming off the street to to, to, to back up our, our, our former All-Pro. You know, we have a guy who's been there, done that, and Patrick McCary. And, you know, this strategy worked for us last year. Why not re-implement it again? And because you know, it's clearly something that needs to happen. And I feel like offensive line coaches more than any other coaches are so in tune with what their guys needs. And what their guys are are really good at, and they sell at. That it's like, hey, this guy will really benefit. And sometimes less is more, and sometimes more is less. But in this case, less is more. Yeah, yeah. So let's move on here. Talk about John Simpson a little bit. Uh, he struggled with pass blocking in this game. Uh, he also came up with another false start, uh, and he he's had an, a, a really tough season for penalties. So he said seven. Um, penalties now this season. It's been two false starts and five holding, which is kind of the story of his career, that he's had a lot of holding calls and and some false starts sprinkled in as well. Uh, five stalled drives now on the year uh, among those seven penalties. He's second on the team in penalties to, to Stanley, who's, who's had a lot of trouble, obviously, with uh, with those as well. Um, he's party to three pressure events in this game. Now, one of the good things is these were these were Aaron Donald pressure events. He had, he had one pressure full, a third of a quarterback hit, a half a sack, and in addition to that, Lamar ran him out of another pressure where he'd already given up a, a pressure that caused Lamar to be flushed. Lamar ran it into positive yards, so instead of that being either a sack or a or a, a, a pressure where Lamar threw the ball away or a quarterback hit or whatever, it ends up being a positive play. So he ends up getting dinged on his adjustment for that, but he uh, uh, Lamar uh, running him out of, out of uh, trouble is really nice. That's by the way, that's a big value of Lamar Jackson is just the, the, the total value of sacks and the runs that are on scrambles are usually a positive um, yards per play. And that's not true of very many quarterbacks in the NFL, even with the higher emphasis on mobile quarterbacks, usually sack yards exceed scramble yards for most quarterbacks. And uh, it's not true of Jackson. So it's really nice to nice to have that. Uh, yeah, definitely. A guy, a guy like John Simpson, just like given Given that, you know, he plays opposite of a Kevin Zyther, who, you know, who's given his pedigree and his high level of play, you know, opposing teams are often going to line up their best three technique against the Ravens left guard. So that's why he got the, you know, he got the Aaron Donald treatment. That's why you saw like in most of the, like if you, if you go into uh, uh, Getty images or whatever, you, you, you look up to, you get your photos, most of the Aaron Donald snaps are going to be going, uh, his pictures are going to be going to get 76. You know, there's a reason for that. So when you go against the opposing team's best three tech, uh, most of the time, you know, you're going to give up some plays. And you're also, but you're also going to make some plays, and so, um, like I said, like, like just given to where 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 he was when he first got here last year, as kind of a, a whim or a flyer to being the Ravens' uh, starting left guard throughout the season and performing, you know, like above expectations. I'm I'm, I'm pleased with John Simpson overall this year, and like I said, given that he went up against a future Hall of Famer, I think he didn't do that bad. Yeah, it was. It certainly wasn't a bad uh, game in those terms. Let's we'll talk a little bit more about it. nine missed blocks in this game. That part was not so great because five of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. So those are plays where he might have ended up giving up a pressure, 
uh, or he might have missed his block on a, on a run play that that could have had more serious consequences, but it just didn't work out to be that way. Um, the ball was out quickly or whatever on those on those plays. Three out of three on pulls. That's something he's improved at during the season. He had a very rough start in terms of pulls this year. Uh, and definitely had some very rough patches, and, and he's been better lately. Two level two blocks, no pancakes, no highlights. Uh, a D for this game. It actually worked out to be his second worst game of the season. Um, and even that even includes an adjustment for Donald, less a um, dinging of his adjustment for the fact that that he uh, had Lamar run himself out of a pressure uh, on one occasion. So deeper Simpson, um, the, people have had worse games against Aaron Donald for, for sure. He wasn't the only one who got some love from Aaron Donald in this game, by the way. Zeitler got some, too, and we're going to get to him a little bit later. Yeah, but uh, tell me about tell me about uh, uh, about Tyler Linderbaum outside outside of the Aaron snap that either resulted in the safety. How did he do in this game? Well, we got to talk about that as well. Uh, you know, he, he's he's had some difficulty as a pass blocker in this game, and this is one area where he'd improved a lot. Uh, this was a difficult game for him. Uh, he, he had. We'll start with the Aaron snap for starters. It, it effectively is a 15 yard sack for a safety. Okay, on that play. And so I have I had trouble kind of putting together how I wanted to to score it and reflect it appropriately because I've got several tools in the in the box I can I can take his entire adjustment away but that really wouldn't have been enough. Um, I, I I did what I ended up deciding is I would charge it as a sack and give him two thirds of the credit for a sack because there's also a possibility if it's a miscommunication that Lamar also should have been aware and ready to take that ball, but even so that ball was so wide where it was, and I'm not sure Lamar would have gotten it. it pr- he probably would have had a good chance to, to get his hand up and, and catch the ball, but it was it, the, the snap was was well wide, and then, of course, we saw what happened, and Lamar had to chase the ball, kick it out of the end zone for the safety. Um, so I ended up giving him a minus four on the play instead of a minus six for a sack, so that was his big negative charge for the game. He did have a half a quarterback hit that he shared with Fa'alele, um, uh, and, uh, that those were his only two negative plays of the game, but he had other pass plays where he missed blocks. So he had seven missed blocks total in the game. Four of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. And two of those were plays where Lamar ran him out of pressure. So he lost a lot of his adjustment for that as well. So, uh, I ended up with a very minimal adjustment for him on the game. One level two block, two out of two on poles, zero pancakes, zero highlights, C minus for the game. Um, he's had worse pass blocking games in his career in, in past years, uh, but this wasn't a good one. Yeah, yeah, no, and they say, they say, you know, being still, still um, even though he's bulked up a bit, you know, still being an undersized guy going against more beefier interior defense linemen, he's going he's gonna to struggle at times, you know, and that, that's why, you know, I'd, I'd like to see more plays where Ravens kind of get him in space. I mean, like, the, I just think back to that. Was was, was he one of the uh, blockers? On, yeah, yeah, on um, on on, uh, on and Mitchell's on Mitchell's uh, 60 yarder against Seattle. Like, let me see some more of, of Tyler Linderbaum doing that kind of stuff. You know, I'm not, not saying that he can't go head up with the no stack hole, but he's at he's at best when he's on the move and he can take out some of those level two level three guys yeah that that play where he kind of sent jordan brooks sprawling but not to the ground and then he caught up to jordan brooks and threw him out of the club on the sideline at the yeah. end of that play that's the kind of play linda Baum should have on his career highlight reel i've talked about this occasionally on the show but if you're a if you're an offensive lineman and you're listening to this you don't have to tell anybody you listen to the show that's fine but keep a freaking you know, video log of your best plays. You will want that at some point to show your grandkids. I guarantee you. Just keep a nice video log. 
don't rely on the fact that these games are out here and you remember the quarter in time because you always remember. have that disc ready to go when your grandkids are ready to watch it <laughs> before they get their Christmas presents or before they get some birthday present. <laughs> um, this is going to be the payoff for that. But have, have that ready to go because you're going to really want that someday in the future. Yeah, if Twitter's still up in you know fifty years, then they can definitely look it look it up look it up via there. Then again, the internet is forever, so so who knows? But I, I can definitely see some uh, Tyler DeMott being kind of like, yeah, your grandpa used to be putting guys on their ass back in the day, boy. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, you do you do want that? So let's move on and talk about Kevin Zeitler. He uh, he's on a streak of really fine games right now, and and he continued that. Uh, not ex- not a complete top tier game but when you hear who gave up all the pressures to it's again Aaron Donald with two and a half pressures he, he gave up directly to him Lamar ran him out of one additional pressure uh had four missed blocks two at the line of scrimmage three out of three on pulls four blocks in level two no pancakes no highlights um and a b in this game and and for the the streak he's on I really want to like impress this upon people it's a fantastic streak for Zeitler since week four. Okay, so week the first three weeks of the season, his grades were CDD. And literally the discussion was, is Kevin Zeitler done? You know, it's and, and thankfully, you know, at that point, the Ravens hadn't signed him to an extension. He really wanted one during the offseason. They didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, guys, definitely turn it on. Um, like I, I've seen it reflected in some of his PFF grades have been really high over the past over the past couple of months. And um, they said he's he's really been been a one of been been I wouldn't say the, the anchor in the middle of the, the middle of the offensive line, but he's definitely like been like the co-anchor with Tyrell Linderbaum. Yeah. So do, since the since week four, B minus A minus D A A minus A A A minus B and B. In the you know in those uh, uh, last ten ball games, so only one bad game that that entire time. That's quite a heater for an offensive lineman. And uh, as I always say, there's there's a good amount of variation week to week, and we can understand the the notion that you know Gunnar Henderson is is occasionally going to go zero for five and ground into a double play in a game, and then the next night he might hit two homers. And you 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 understand that day to day variation. This actually it's very similar for offensive linemen. They get a lot of at bats. Um, but they have streaks where they don't they don't play necessarily all that well, or they run into an opponent who has them figured out, and they and they you know, get a good move on them a couple of times, and it's just something they they often have to go to the, back to the drawing board to fix, and there's a lot of results um, that, that vary from game to game. Yeah, and this thing about playing in the AFC North in particular, like the teams in this division really construct their teams to attack the other teams in the division. Whereas you don't see that much like, you know, in the East, you'll see the Cowboys kind of beat up on their divisional opponents because they're not really built to stop them. Right. And you'll see these, these Cowboys with these crazy point differentials where they're blowing teams out 40 to three or whatever, because they're opposing teams in their division, either they're, not doing it or doing a piss poor job of doing it. Whereas in the AFC North, you have a, a bunch of teams that are, are historically pretty good at drafting and developing positions that kind of attack the weaknesses of the other teams or trying to help defend or, or, or expose some of the weaknesses on offense and defense. And so that, that kind of, you can kind of see that at times with some of the defensive fronts that the Ravens go up against or some of the offenses that the Ravens go up against. Yeah, it's it definitely, the size in the in the AFC North has been something that's been kind of a, a difficult mountain for Linderbaum to climb, and a, a amazing progress this year after having a pretty difficult year against some of the really sizable nose tackles in particular. But that's true of, of all the all the players along the line is they have to deal with um, with some specialists, and Zeitler is certainly no different from the rest of them. I, you know, one of the first of all, I want to talk about two things with regard to Zeitler. I, 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 they, 
Do you think this is finally the year that he'll make a Pro Bowl? I believe so. Yeah, I, I believe so. I believe I believe that that you know, like not, not just other people campaigning, but I think that the fact that the Ravens are going to be in more more highlight more highlight uh, more prime time games here down down the stretch. And um, like I said, is I think this is I think this is I mean as much as the Pro Bowl is not doesn't mean as much. Just having that on his on his uh on his on his resume you can always say pro bowl guard kevin kevin zeitler you know you don't you don't have to say pro bowl alternate or or almost got a pro bowl i just think that um the ravens are campaigning pretty hard i think his play kind of speaks for itself too i think there are more intelligent fans out there that are you know because like fan voting is, is a factor now and i think that more people will be having more appreciation more appreciation for it for him at this stage of his career yeah pff changed the way we look at offensive linemen when they started grading in 2007 uh, and then they, they they subsequently went back to 2006. But basically, you can you can talk about the the years since then is really the PFF era in terms of offensive linemen. The 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 understanding of who was a good offensive lineman was at a miserable level around the league and a very delayed deferred level in terms of um, you know inherited Pro Bowl status that that would come along uh, would often go with the good offenses to start with. That's not such a bad thing. What is such a bad thing is the same guy gets it nine consecutive years, and, and you, you never allow for hey, this guy, you know, he missed six games this year, or you know, things things didn't go as well in a particular year. He gave up, you know, gave up some sacks or what it might what it might be, or had a big had a big year in terms of penalties. But PFF has changed that. They've they've now because they give you such timely results. In terms of looking at offensive line uh, uh, play, uh, and it's it's relative to the rest of the league. A lot of offensive linemen are going to make the Hall of Fame because of it. So, so Marshall Yanda um, is a is a child of the PFF era. Who is you know, his career started in 2007. That's exactly when PFF started grading, uh, and and he's really benefited um, from that in terms of of his Hall of Fame resume. Zeitler during this period is the best offensive lineman, certainly the best guard, let me put it that way, never to make a Pro Bowl. Still unre- unreal to me that he never has with all of the the uh, the things he's done in his career. But yeah, like, like we said, a lot of it goes with name recognition. People go with like to turn to the best offensive to the guy like, oh, this guy's made three pro three straight Pro Bowls and stuff like that. So I, I definitely that that plays that plays a factor in it. But also like like you were saying with the PFF thing, not only do they you know do they have those grades, but they it's the propaganda. They put them out every every week. Like you'll yeah. have you have the main PFF account tweet uh, like tweet it out or you put it out there and put it in an article. Then you have the because they have PFF uh, Ravens or PFF you know this like they are in like, like the next person we're going to talk about morgan moses uh, i saw i just saw earlier today retweeted it that he's the highest uh, he was the highest graded tackle in the league this past this past week so um if that's a natural segue you want to get into moses let's move on over, over to moses yeah absolutely so uh i i, I think i said it'd be for Zeitler for the game yeah moses uh very effective uh he was able to sit for eight snaps in this game so did not get replaced as much by Faalele. I think that's probably a, appropriate nice to see Faalele get some live fire out of this too it wasn't all about moses uh, and it's it's obviously not all. I guess Moses did not need the same amount of rest that Ronnie Stanley did by only missing eight snaps. They might have found another place to get Falele in. Um, by the time you're 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 going down in the end of the game in the four minute drill and overtime, that's not a time you're going to put Daniel Falele in. You're, nope. you're gonna you're gonna ride with your with your best horse at that point. And and uh, Moses was certainly it. He allowed one full pressure, parts of two quarterback hits, a one third share and a two third share. He also allowed half a sack in this game. So it wasn't like his record was perfect at all. Byron Young um, and uh, Hoyt uh, each each got him a couple times. Um, had two missed blocks, one loss at the line of scrimmage. 
Three level two blocks, no pancakes, one out of one on his polls. Uh, rare, a rare case where Morgan Moses goes through an entire game and does not directly connect on a pole, but even then he ran his track perfectly. There's no one to block, and, and he gets a courtesy point as the trailer on a counter. Uh, so that was a, that was his only one. But typically, Moses' unbelievable mobility since he's been oh, here yeah. in terms of being able to get – it's not something I ever associated with him, but, he, but he's been remarkable in that regard. He was the only Raven lineman to have a highlight in this game, and he had three of them. Uh, all combination blocks and uh, got a B for the game in, in terms of his score. So fine game. And, and it's nice to see Morgan looking more healthy again. They did give some, him some help on that side, uh, which I thought was good, but, uh, but he also got the job done in a, in a game of, with a extended number of total snaps. Yeah. I love seeing that guy get on his horse and, and move in space. He's, he's one of the other guys I love seeing in, in space. Um, and yeah, so more, more plays like that, where he's like, you know, the screens, the screens to his side or just pulls and counters. Um, I, I love I love seeing him do his thing on the on the on the move. Right, let's jump down to the, the couple guys who were in his backups. Daniel Falalele replaced Moses for eight snaps. He made seven of his block, and he also shared a, with a quarterback hit when he was beaten outside by uh, by I have Jones here, but I think that was actually Byron Young who, who beat him on the play. Um, and McCary uh, came in, replaced Stanley for fourteen snaps, made thirteen blocks. Uh, he had. A very questionable handoff that I just called a missed block, but I, I, if somebody wanted to call that a pressure, I probably wouldn't have a, a, a problem with it. Um, but he handed off somebody to no one, uh, and it was an unusual play. I forget it was actually a run or a pass play. i got to go find that block for a second and just take a look at it because now I really want to know. Yeah, it was on a re- run left for two. He, he, so it's, the worst it would have been would have been a negative two if the play had gone for a loss. The play actually went for a two-yard gain, and um, it, it looked bad, but uh, but he also thought somebody else um, was going to be there, and he handed off nine, number 92 to no one, um, which was a, 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 a just kind of a weird block. But anyway, he I thought he played pretty well in the game. I, th- I saw PFF didn't have quite as good a score on him, so they probably dinged him more on that particular play would be would be my guess. Yeah, yeah, I, I like. I always, I always trust McCarry for the most part when he goes, especially when he's going against like non-elite guys. Where he's not going against mm-hmm. the Miles Garretts and the T.J. Watts or the or the uh, uh, Trey Hendrickson's of of, of, the, of the world. Like I really trust him against you know like mid-tier to you know under you know un, let's say under the radar or undeveloped, but like you know guys who aren't those top guys. It really does seem to be magnified in his case, doesn't it? Where that where you're, he's he's worse against the great players. A lot worse, and, and as a, as a much higher variation of outcome, and then he, he can he can put up very good games of of uh, you know very consistently solid technical play against against guys who are in the middle. He did have one good game, I thought, against Hendrickson this year. Yeah, uh, week week four he played he played really good, but then in week. It was week ten against a hobbled Hendrickson. He gives up the sack. So I thought, yes, yeah. I thought that was kind of weird. But uh, for, the, for the most part, he's he's, he's held his own, he's held more than held his own against Hendrickson um, this this season. Yeah, week is it, week two. He got an A and he got a D plus yeah, against yeah, Cincinnati in, in in week eleven. So you're exactly right. So uh, uh, very uh, yeah. It's it's again. It's another one where there's variation game to game. You just gotta you gotta accept it. I, I've. I have had people question me on the offensive line scoring system and saying, are you really capturing the right things then? Because is your model predictive if it doesn't talk? It's, it's a think of this as a box score of what actually happened. You have then a whole bunch of data points you can put together and look at. You don't try and reflect 
every game the player's aggregate level of contribution for a season, then you'd be torturing the data for more information that, than was actually there. Uh, and and I'm, I'm not a fan of that at all. These resampling methods are trying to, to say, well, okay, that pressure holds on and, and, and is a repeatable one and whatnot. Just report the, the events as they occurred and allow the data points to build up as they do. And you, you do that same thing with baseball over a season of at-bats, and you, you you come to a conclusion about the player, and then you don't have to be judging people by their longest home run. And you don't have to be judging for how fast they got to third base on their most exciting triple. It's it's about, you know, it's about hits per at-bat. It's about, you know, slugging percentage and on-base percentage. It's it's about all the, the, the per-at-bat statistics that they have as offensive linemen. Yeah. All right, let's jump in and talk about some players. Uh, Josh, you're the guest, and I appreciate you taking through the offensive line like that. But go through uh, who the players you want to talk about, the first player you want to talk about. Um, we'll talk about Keith Mitchell, man. I mean, this this guy's this guy's a spark plug, and like I said, as, as much as you know, we talked about talked about his, some of his shortcomings in pass protection in in, in the last show. I, I really I really want to see him be utilized more. Like 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 not just you know like. like I, I want to feel like a broken record here because you know I've, I've I've written about this a lot, talked about it a lot. But he's a he's a guy that like I feel like you know the, the more you increased his 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 I would say target share, um, but yeah, target share too. The more increases you just yeah, touch here. The 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 more likely he's, he is to generate. I mean, this guy's had like what five straight games of of, of, of at least one play, one or more plays of twenty plus yards. I mean. if, if if you just give him, I don't know, four or five more carries, touches the game, odds are the guy's going to make somebody, they didn't necessarily make somebody miss, but like I said, outrun somebody to the edge, explode up the field. He's a guy that I really want to see like feature a little bit more. Like I got really excited when his first when his first snap of the game resulted in him getting the eight yard pass for a first down. I'm like, okay, this is going to be a, a good Keith Mitchell game. Okay, we're going to see him more in the passing game. And that was only one of his two targets all game. And he didn't, he, you know, didn't catch another ball. So that was like, I just feel like those are such easy plays and easy ways to get him the ball either in space or just kind of rather quickly, he can kind of do more damage after, after the catch or after the, after the handoff. And I think he, I thought he ran pretty, pretty hard today. And we talked about how the conditions kind of maybe prevented him from, from picking up even more yards, but I thought, I thought he saw the field well, I thought he read it, read, um, you know, read, read, had good vision and found those squeeze, hit him, hit him hard, you Maybe a little too hard. Lost his foot a couple times, but I really like the way Keith Mitchell played in this game. I want to see him get used even more in the passing game and the running game moving forward. Yeah, he's he's been a revelation, obviously, in so many different ways. And uh, we're just evaluating the roster, and he said he had 29 carries at the point at which we're evaluating the roster on the bye week. And I've got him in the young producer category. And a lot of a lot of players, you know, they just haven't quite put in enough time, or they haven't they haven't quite gotten there. <clears throat> Game at a point where you completely trust what they've done. Zadarius Smith was a guy who was always on the margin of the young producer category for about two and a half years, and then finally made it. Um, but but Keaton Mitchell is no doubt about it. I mean, he's he's one of the players that, however far the Ravens go in 2023, Keaton Mitchell is going to be a huge part of that. I mean, he's got a huge decision point. If, if he were to get hurt, it would be an enormous blow to their Super Bowl chances. If he stays healthy and plays like this. They've got an enormously better chance to win the Super Bowl. So uh, he is tremendous impact. And it, some of it's not even what he's doing, but it's the fact that the Ravens don't seem to trust Evan Duvernay to run the gadget plays like he used to. Maybe his speed isn't what it was when he first came into the league. Maybe it's just he's broken down a little bit with injuries, and maybe they don't trust him with the football in the same way. Um, but they they haven't 
used him as a receiver as much as they did last year, obviously, and they haven't used him as much even as a gadget player where they, where they used him to beat Cincinnati, for example, early in the season last year in the home game. But the, the other guy they haven't really used in that same way is Justice Hill. They used him a lot as a blocker. They have gotten the ball out to him in space, but they really haven't been able to make much of him as a receiver um, in, in his time. He's, he's basically been a very yo yards per touch guy in that respect. Um, decent runner this year so he's had a solid year there that's not the problem the 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 issue has been they don't really trust him with a lot of the gadgetry that they trust mitchell and flowers with and if flowers is your only guy then flowers is going to be underutilized on longer passing routes so mitchell's you know explosion onto the scene is i think will have a very positive long-term impact on flowers ability to more more run more deep routes yeah. Nobody on this team right now can turn the corner faster and better, and more explosively, and Keaton Mitchell. I mean, the the, the guys, the guys, Gary almost guaranteed almost every time to to least, uh, even if it's blocked poorly, like he could still get gain, like turn like what would look like a four yard loss to a five yard gain because he's just that fast, just that explosive, and he runs he runs surprisingly hard and well, oh, um, yeah. you know, through through contact for a guy his size. Yeah, I, I've been very impressed by that. And, you know, I, I, I'm kind of reminded of Ray Rice in terms of what we see there. He doesn't have the same exact type body type as Ray. Ray was, you know, not as fast as Mitchell. But Ray's calling card was unbelievable contact balance and the ability to in, in a lot of times stick his hand on the put ground. Put the hand down, yeah, put the yeah. hand down and stay to, up. Yeah. To get down. And, and you know, it, it generally takes a shorter player to be able to do that effectively. Mitchell is of the correct stature for that, you know, just to, to uh, put it as, as bluntly as possible here or as euphemistically as possible. Um, you know, you, you can't do that. A 6'2 running back is just not going to have this the same ability to to get his hands off the ground. He can help you in other ways, but uh, but Mitchell's the right, the, the right size to be an explosive through contact running back. And uh, he's just been very effective at it. He's got 14 missed tackles forced, I believe, already in, what is it, something like 38 runs on the year so very high missed tackle forced rate a lot of it was in that first game against uh seattle or the lions whichever one they i think it's the lions that he had the, the, the big first game yeah no the, it was the, the seattle he had the big first game lions yeah. he had that one one touch for like 11 yards um, okay like yeah, that, was, that was that was just a taste a taste of what was to yeah. come two weeks two weeks later when he when he would explode and, and go off and he's yet to have a game where he even has more than i think like 12 total touches i think he's only had one game where he's carried the ball more uh, you know uh, like i think more than more than 10 times or at least 10 times so he's a guy like we kind of had this people were kind of saying the same thing with jk dobbins like let jk dobbins off the leash for the longest time and then like it, it took until what last year for him to first, get his first game with over 15 15 touch touches in a, in a game so i'm not I'm not saying give Keaton Mitchell the J.K. Dobbins like you know heavy workload that he wanted, but I'm saying just use him more because the more often you use him, the higher probability that he's going to create a more explosive plays again. And because there are times when the Ravens offense kind of falls into these lulls in the middle of games sometimes where they need a spark and need some juice. You're not always going to be able to get that from the passing game, you know, whether it's you know because a you know guy drops the ball or whether a guy whether or they um, uh, you know the the defensive back you know covers you know blankets him in coverage, but you can't stop a handoff, you know, unless you blow it up in the backfield, get stuff a handoff. So if you, the quicker you can get this guy, the, the ball in his hands, the quicker he can make potentially make an explosive play. And I just want to see that happen more often um, down the stretch here because I just feel like it's going to take this. Uh, as much as we don't want to talk about the deep passing game evolving and taking clicking on all cylinders, you know, get get Keith Mitchell clicking on all cylinders, man. That's the guy who can really carry it. Was it carry this team, but really provide some extra juice to this team right now? 
Yeah, and he won't necessarily be the guy who closes out games, which is going to be another restriction on his total snap count. Because as the game goes on, it becomes harder for you to get him those first contact in level two opportunities where you really get the get the ball to him in space. And then he's he's devastating. I mean, anytime you get him into level two, it's it's he can outrun somebody. He can run he run through an arm tackle where a guy thinks he has an angle, gets there gets to a point where normally against a lot of backs he dragged the guy down and and you know Mitchell's Mitchell's by him too quickly or through the tackle too quickly to uh to do it. I've loved it. just watching him from that very first touch against the Lions and all through those uh, those um runs against the Seahawks where it was just you know 9 yards, 10 yards, 11 yards and then 40 and 60, you know, he just this is if you're not excited by that about uh, by seeing that you don't have a pulse in terms of uh, of of watching football so Anyway, I love love the way he started off here. Talk a little bit about Flowers in in this game in terms of his um, uh, success. Obviously, uh, had a really fine fourth quarter. The one play where where that that was kind of wasted was Lamar getting spun around. I, I'm trying to remember. Who, I think it was Donald. Yeah, it was Donald. Yeah, it was Donald. Yeah, yeah, spun around about 360 degrees. Finally, getting a pass off and then have Flowers drop it, drop which is unfortunate. Yeah. yeah, but uh, but Flowers really did have a fine game. Um, he's not picking up the kind of yards per target we'd have hoped uh, since Andrews was out. Um, and this was a game where they, they certainly could have used him. But then he came up with two of the biggest plays in the game and, and a couple more plays on that final drive where uh, he got down quickly, managed. He was managing the clock and no one else was on that on that four minute drive. And then he got he, of course, was uh, was free for the for the touchdown on the Aguilar um, enhanced uh, safety removal play. Um, that that uh, that's that's just that's it's using him in a way that they need to figure out how to do it. I mean, they basically need to figure out how do you drag that safety away. And if, uh, this there's two. I'm gonna get excited about this and talk too fast for, for for my thoughts sometimes. But there's two things going on here. One is you want to get the safety out of the way to get Flowers the catch, which happens. But there's plenty of other times you want to have Flowers drag that safety attention and and create an opening for for somebody else. But running those deep overs like they did on that play is something Ravens need to be doing more of. Um, that needs to be a, 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 a focal point of the offense where, the, where they're getting the, you know, Isaiah likely throws, Mark Andrews throws, your Odell Beckham slant plays. Actually, that's that's probably not a good example. But uh, some you know th- some extended plays to Aguilar that might be a, a crosser on the field or a crosser on the field to Beckham. They become available because you know you got these clear out players like Flowers drawing the attention of you know first and second level defenders or second and third level defenders. Uh, it's just it's it's something that you've uh, you've got to do more of um, both to get him free and to get others free. Yeah, man, that's that's one of my favorite plays. Back when I used to play Madden, you know, addictively, those, those play action crossers, man. Just have it. You had got that clear out receiver, and you know, the, and Mark Andrews coming up, coming open on, underneath. I used to eat on that all the time in Madden. I love to see that more because I see so many other teams do it, you know, religiously. I'm just like, man, how can the Ravens do some more of that stuff, man? God damn it! And um, but as, as far as, as far as um Zay's Zay's you know average at the target lowering, I I kind of expected this a little bit with the loss of Andrews, just because you know the get with that. With the loss of Andrews, you kind of need some need a collection of guys to kind of eat up some of those intermediate targets. And I knew that some of those some of those uh, those, those routes that are going to be needed for those first down routes and those those little sit routes were going to go to guys like 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 uh, like, like Flowers and 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 back and we can get we can get into next if you're done talking about Flowers. Go ahead. 
Yeah, um, Odell, Odell Becker, man, he continues to impress. He continues to come on strong. I mean, him and him and Zay tied for the team lead in targets. You know, their their, their catch percentage is, is low, but the impact level is high. You know, and, and that's what I when you can make the most of your opportunities in the way that Odell has been doing um in the, this over this past month, especially the month of November. I mean, I'm, I'm all for it, man. I mean, as much as people wanted wanted to, wanted to piss him on about his his lack of effectiveness to start off the season. I mean, we're talking about a guy who was off for an entire year, and and you know, and then then um, kind of tweaked his ankle a little bit in that in that week two game against Cincinnati. But this is the stretch that the Ravens needed all that to be healthy for and producing this is exactly what he's been doing. And I couldn't be more, I couldn't be more happy with, with what he's been doing. And, and this game was just another example of that. Um, just like that, like, like I said, in the first show that that double move in the pouring down rain was, was absolutely filthy. It was, it was clean and it was filthy at the same time. I mean, he, he did that. He did the uh, Jordan, Jordan Fuller dirty on, on, on that route. Like I, and they got bit on it and he got that, um, that the longest, his longest touchdown of, this, of the season. It, it was glorious. Is I think there's a pretty good chance Beckham will get a big contract somewhere else uh, coming out of this year. I think he's he. I don't see him staying to play for a discount in Baltimore. I don't think even even with playing Lamar and all the things that that could bring you, I don't see it. But I can definitely see him going to the AFC South to play for one of two teams: CJ Stroud. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. Or in Indianapolis to, um, to, with, with Anthony Richardson coming back this year. Two, two young quarterbacks who need, you know, proven veteran receivers. I mean, the, the Texans have, have Tank Dell and they got, they got a lot of Nico Collins this year, but to have that veteran guy, I mean, they got the corpse Robert Woods down there in, in Houston. And then, um, with, with, uh, with Indianapolis, I'm not sure how much, you know, they want to put in the, in the, um, What's that guy's name? Uh, Pittman. Pittman. Pittman basket or, or or the Alec Pierce basket. But I know a guy like Odell Beckham would be would be 
great, phenomenal for two young quarterbacks on the rise who showed a lot of promise as rookies. And, and obviously, those are those are teams that would have the cap space to yep. to handle a Beckham, and, and hopefully, you know, I'm there's void years on Beckham's contract, and you know, there's there's money to be spent there. The Ravens cannot get caught in the void trap with Beckham, like try and save money on the void years by re-signing him for multiple years. It's 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 a it's it's a, it's a trap. They, they, they cannot do that. Somebody's going to make a competitive offer out there for Beckham. Let them take them, take them for next year, and and be really happy with the fact that Odell Beckham has got eight point nine yards per target. He's outperformed expectation by so much, even at a fairly low target share. Even with some injuries, he's worked through in terms of uh, not playing every game. He still played eleven of the thirteen games so far. Um, you know, the, the fifty-seven targets is probably less. I, I know it's less than. Everybody was thinking he would get preseason because you know, I, I asked for those specific um, uh, numbers from people. Give me the number of games he plays. Give me the, yard, the the targets per game and give me the yards per target. But the yards per target is the number he's really exceeded on. And uh, I, I, you know, is he is he worth fifteen or eighteen million this year? No, but is he is he a um, a valuable player? And can I tolerate the cost given? What I think I know about Lamar signing the contract because in part of him, sure, I can do that. Um, would I do it again? No way in hell. Uh, so uh, uh, for, the, for that reason, I think they have to let him go. If he lets, if he helps the Ravens hoist the Lombardi Trophy this year, I'd say he's worth every freaking penny. Um, you know, that, that said, that, once again, it's kind of projecting a little bit, but this these are these are kind of moves you got to make sometimes. You know, or I wouldn't say in order to go all in, but like to be to maintain be competitive because like you know we all knew they're going to revamp the wide receiver core this this off season, but you you also had to bring in you know guys with not just veteran leadership, but guys who have been there, done that. Not saying Nelson Aguilar hasn't done that, but you know he like you know he, you know he, he was on a Super Bowl winning Eagles team. And, and a key contributor on, on that team too, but that was you know in 2017. You know we got a guy who's been in the Super Bowl as as as, uh, as, as early as uh, you know last 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 February. And I feel like that kind of experience and leadership, and, and the fact that he also had something to prove too, um, but really really kind of made this a match made in heaven. Was the price tag too with too rich for my taste? Yeah, I'm right. I'm writing lots of that. What you can, I don't. I, th- I think they. I think they grossly overpaid. But you know, if that helped get Lamar in the building and, and, and sign on the dotted line, and if it helps propel this team to the deeper playoff run in over a decade, hey man. We will. We will uh, allow that to happen. But next year. Um, that big dead money number that's keeping us from re-signing a lot of these UFAs, I mean, it did go to Odell Beckham. I mean, a lot of the money that they would have needed went to Odell Beckham. So if they don't re-sign Justin Matabike, that will be a contributing factor, you know, in terms of of uh, what happened because they 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 would probably have the money to sign Matabike if they hadn't spent it already on Beckham. All right, let's let's move on. How about we talk about uh, we'll talk about Aguilar's play one more time because I just absolutely love the uh, dragging that safety uh, out of the uh, uh, out of his spot with by running right at him. Just a wonderful play, and it's it's a you know, Aguilar ran a diagonal on that play um, where it it looked like a deep over. He's selling it as a deep over. He runs right at that, at that safety or he's, you know, he's selling it as a, as a, as a third level, uh, out route anywhere, third level crosser. And he, he safety could not help, but bite on that candy. Obviously everybody else had, had, um, dropped off that route. They'd allowed him to pass through and, and, you know, the next guy was responsible and they, they're in zone defense. So there isn't anybody else to pick him up is the beauty of that play. It wasn't a matter of, 
there was a choice of him not biting on the play. Uh, Aguilar just knew that that's what would occur. And he didn't run himself into any position to make that catch. He ran himself completely out of the play in terms of, of where he was on the field. And it was still extremely effective at, at, uh, at, at buying that touchdown, buying that lane open for Zay. Yeah, what I love about Aguilar, man, is just like like if you if you look at when his it's the guy doesn't catch a lot of balls, but when you look at when they come, it's the two minute drills, it's the four minute drills. It's like Lamar, he's one of the guys that Lamar trusts in in crunch time. Like I know this guy's gonna be where he needs to be and get the yard to get down or or get get the first down and get out of bounds. And he did that like like his first three catches, the game didn't come until the that field goal drive at the end of the first half, and like there and two of them were back to back, boom, 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 twelve yards, eight yards, and then in the uh, on the the last third, the touchdown drive in the fourth quarter, back to back catches, first down on a five yard reception. The second play, six yards on 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 the on the next catch, and he's just like that guy that's kind of. Like, he sometimes he can be a drive starter or a drive extender, and I really appreciate those contributions for him. He doesn't catch a lot of balls, but the ones he do, he do he do he does catch come in high leverage moments when the team needs them the most. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting player because in an eight-year career prior to come to Baltimore, he really only had two good seasons. And you can come up with reasons for it. You can point to his time in New England and saying he's playing with a lousy quarterback and you'd be right. Um, he had a really good year with David Carr in 2020 where he caught 48 balls and uh, 10.9 yards per target. A lot at big plays that year. He had uh, yards per reception was up at 18.7, which supported yeah, he that. Led, yeah, he led the league yeah. that year with Derek Carr, yeah. And then if you go back to 2017, which is, was really his one really good year with Philadelphia, had 8.1 yards per target and eight touchdowns that year. But aside from that, he's been a pretty miserable yards per target guy. His yards per target, other than those years, is 6.4, 5.3, 7.6, 5.3, 7.4, and 6.8. You're not happy with that out of your wide receivers. That's a, that's a Those are weak numbers. But this year in Baltimore – now, 9.5 yards per target, which is the second best number of his career. Um, he's, he's been worth every penny. He's been worth every penny in terms of what he's produced. He's been worth that sixth-round draft pick that makes me kind of choke to think they, they gave it up at the time, or it certainly was. Um, and and he he's, hasn't demonstrated any of the really negative things from last year in terms of having a high drop rate and uh, you know some of the other poor yak rates and whatnots that, he, that he's had. Um, in New England, he hasn't demonstrated any of that. So he's, uh, you know, the, the Ravens have really found a way to utilize him that I think's much better than how he has been the rest of his career. And sometimes when you don't funnel the ball to guys because you're not paying them, the, you know, the big bucks, you know, they kind of like trying to make the most of their opportunities. You, you, you'll you see less focused drops because a lot of times with, with him struggling early in his career, he struggled with drops, right? Because he wasn't looking the ball in. He wasn't. Well, when you know you're only going to get that ball thrown your way three or four times in the game, you make you make damn sure that you're going to you're, you get your eyes on the ball. You're looking it in, catching it with both hands, putting it away. And so you've seen a lot of that from him, a lot of clean catching, no, not a whole lot of body catching. And um, like I said, what like sometimes like I said sometimes less is more yeah I said one other thing about Aguilar that has been very good and he's considered with this year he's played in every game the guy's only missed nine games in a nine-year career and that's really unusual for any position but you look at a player like Beckham who's you know going through a lot of injury issues I haven't heard one thing from Nelson Aguilar the whole year in terms of an injury he's probably got something but he's but he's he's playing right through it and and, and we don't know about it um, uh, doing that, but he isn't. I don't believe he's been on the injury report. I was about, yeah, I was just going to say that I, I haven't seen him on the injury report not once. And I, I look at it every week. Uh, who's your next guy? 
Uh, I say it likely. You know, I wouldn't say this was necessarily his breakout game just because you know he got he was a beneficiary of, of busted coverage. But you know, it was just another example of him stepping up and seizing the opportunity of more extended snaps uh, with with Mark Andrews out 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 of the lineup. And I was I was happy to see that the Ravens didn't just you know like use him heavily in one half like they did against the Chargers and then completely go away from him in the second half. You know, he was he was making contributions in both halves as a pass catcher, and he said he got his first touchdown first first touchdown of the, of the, of the year, and he didn't just. Like, like, and the fact that he made sure he finished in the end zone was great too. You know, put put that last move, kind of stiff arm that guy, the the, the trailing safety, try to come over across the field, make sure he finished in the in the end zone. I just like to see the Ravens scoring plays of forty plus, fifty plus, and it was it was great to see him um, get that moment, his, his his moment in the sun, even though it was kind of dreary that day. It's a great point about um, him being able to get in the end zone on that. Absolutely critical uh, that he do that, and and. Uh, uh, it was it was great to see that. The other thing is just the last two games. You know, he caught it catching nine out of thirteen balls, and really it started way way back at the Seattle game when he caught four out of four. He was in exile for this offense. He didn't have a target in four straight games between weeks uh, four and seven of the season. Um, he, he had three catches out of four to start the season. He, he you know, thirty-two yards, so nothing really special. Eight yards a, a catch is okay, of course, but his one drop, he, he was a huge one that helped. It was one of several plays that helped lose that game against Indianapolis. That if everything would be different right now, the number one seed would be all but sealed up if they had won that game against Indianapolis. Um, anyway, they 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 obviously didn't. It, it was something that stuck with Likely for a while, unfortunately. And they had trouble reintegrating him into the scheme. They were He wasn't even playing a ton of snaps. But it's been great that, you know, without Mark Andrews, the light switch has gone right back on, and he's been able to, to be a very key member of this offense the last two weeks. So uh, extremely happy with that. Yeah, but then he he showed more as a blocker too as well. Him both him and Kolar. I'd like to see Kolar get a little bit more utilized in the passing game, just because given how prolific he was in college at Iowa State. But um, like I said it's only it's only one ball. It's so many mouths to feed. Yeah, that's 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 the always the way with the Baltimore Ravens is nobody's ever happy with their total touches, and um, I, I'm glad we haven't heard that directly from any players so far this season. Beckham probably is thinking it. He's probably thinking you ought to get more targets in, in, in this offense. Um, when you're winning, when you're winning. Yeah, when you're winning, hopefully everything is – that cures everything. I'm with you on Kolar. Uh, really sad about Duvernay, too. He, he's on IR now and uh, probably a pretty good chance we don't see him again this year would be my guess. If he's on IR, he's out for four weeks. If he comes back at all, it would be during the playoffs. If he's available during the playoffs, I don't know if the Ravens bring him back because they really haven't utilized him. Um, so far this year. So it's been kind of a lost season for Devin Duvernay. And I hope wherever he goes next year, he lands on his feet and the and the Ravens uh, fans hopefully realize, you know, what he's contributed to the organization since he's been here. He's, he's, for, going, he's going to one of three places. He's going to the Rams, the Niners, the Texans, or somebody else who runs some variation of the Shanahan scheme. That dude is, like I said, for all the comparisons he got to, to Debo Samuel's, um, you know, throughout, throughout his career, I just, he's like a match made in heaven, one of those offenses. Even if he has lost a step a little bit, that kind of dynamic skill, skill set is something that those that those teams would max, would, would definitely um, get the most out of him. And I, I said, I'd, I'd be happy for him, especially if he ends up letting the Ravens any sort of compensatory pick. I doubt it, but um, it, it'd be nice to see, to see Duke thrive somewhere else. How about Miami? possibility for him yeah that's that was, yeah that was the other one you know miami I, I know i know they have 
but they have Cedric Wilson and and Tyreek Hill and and, and Jalen Waddle and, and even Braxton Berrios, who's a former former Pro Bowl re- returner in his own right. But like I said those kind of offense they can never get enough of those kind of guys. You know, they they, they love River Craycraft and all those kind of shifty, you know, gadgety guys. They 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 eat those guys up because you know they 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 churn them out. And they use them a lot. I, I feel like that is one of the things the Ravens are going to be looking at during the draft or maybe during the undrafted process is another raw speed guy like Mitchell. I mean, you know, effectively a guy who is a undervalued asset that somebody else says, nah, I don't know about this guy as a pass blocker or I don't know about this guy. You, they really honestly, they don't want another guy who's an exact Mitchell clone because that would really limit them in terms of who they would need to have on the field on passing downs. But they, they'd like to have another receiver maybe who's got a size limitation. Or another, but but is tremendously fast. That gives them that one other gadget guy they could run with. But I think that's you know they'll they're going to go through. They have a lot of pull, gravitational pull on those draft picks in terms of where they need to make them. Offensive tackle being a you know the place I think they absolutely must start with. Uh, cornerback a huge need. Uh, edge rusher they really you know are, are are kind of running out of young guys. Although Ajabo will be back next year. Um, it's a, it's a uh, there's a lot of need for those high round draft picks uh, right now that they have. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll see. Like you know, like, like, usually when rosters get picked clean in the, in, the, in the way that I feel like the Ravens roster is going to get to an to, to a certain degree, it's usually it comes a result of a deep playoff run. And like I said, if, if losing these you know vital key players you know you know results in results in the Ravens hosting the Lombardi, I'm all for it. If they come if they fall short. I'm going to be a little butthurt. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know what the Ravens do in the year after they win the Super Bowl, very important. So if they do win the Super Bowl this year, you know, it doesn't mean you try and re-sign everybody and go for a, go for another one. The, the, the 2001 Ravens, they did try and re-sign everybody and they put themselves in a pretty deep cap hole that they had to go through a rebuilding year in 2002. That wasn't a bad rebuilding year because they had a ton of talent on that roster in places mm-hmm. like the defensive line. You know, they picked up Ed Reed and Will Demps, and they immediately replaced the safety group. And uh, they had a ton of guys, Anthony Weaver, um, that, that came in right away and, and got to play at a high level um, uh, right away. But it's it's not something – it's not the kind of purgatory you really like to put your season ticket holders through right away. 2002 ended up being a very exciting season for the Ravens. They they hung in. They fought like hell. Um, they weren't very good defensively, but they fought like hell to try and um, be a team that could compete. And they and by 2003, they were great defensively again, and uh, and and competed. So, I'm I, I I don't fear change. And the last time they had a wholesale changes was in what 2019, right after the 18 defense got dismantled to a large degree. They they had to rebuild that on the fly. They brought in Earl Thomas. Uh, mm-hmm. which totally didn't work <laughs> in terms of the things. But a lot of the other changes they made, they they were able to get young and get good on both sides of the ball very quickly. So, um, uh, yeah. And the same happened in, you know, after the 2012 season. You know, they had that – I wouldn't say – I wouldn't really call 2013 a down year, but you kind of expected with all that that mass exodus with Matt Burke and, and Ray Lewis and Ed Reed and, you know, Denali. Yeah, yeah, and, and Bolden. I mean, really that Bolden was, was – I felt was really the one that kind of killed them. I know they were trying to do their best to re-sign Denali so that they wouldn't have that keeping Ray Lewis sized hole. But I feel like, you know, losing, losing guy like Bolden, you know, really kind of, you know, hamstrung them. I would say for years to come because they got Steve Smith the year after that. And they were like right back in the mix in 2014. But that 2013 season, I feel like that team with Anquan Bolden would have made the playoffs. It would have been, it, it, it would have been a better chance for them to make the playoffs. I would agree. And and then who knows, they, they would have had to take a, on another cornerstone contract with Bolden probably, 
don't know what what he ended up signing for with the Niners. I'm trying to remember. No, but, so they traded him to the Niners. So they, no, they but, still but then the Niners contract. signed him. Yeah, yeah. Then they then they signed him. Yeah. Down. So they to, to to in order to um uh they had a they had a I, actually I guess they could have just kept him around for the one year and then let him walk on the contract after that year because he was still under contract I believe for six million dollars or something. Yeah, like, which was a lot of money then. Yeah, but like, was, did they only trade for like a six round pick or fifth round pick? Yeah. Something, something like real low. So they were gonna. They were, I mean, it was an alternative to cutting. It was just salvage value. So it's, yeah. it's, it's effectively was a cut. And I know that people want to bring that up and say, "Oh, they traded him for a sixth round pick." Well, no, they didn't. They cut him. They they, they cut him and they got some salvage value then, which was mm-hmm. the sixth round picks. Anyway, I, there's only one other player I want to talk about here, and then we, we we need to do some other things with MVPs. You got your three, two, one list of MVPs ready? If you don't, Josh, you can do that yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, so uh, Ricard is the guy, um, and and his usage has been down. And this is a game we talked about a little bit on the first show that they didn't run as much. Game script did not really allow for it. They weren't really trying to close out the game at any point in time. They could have if they got the first down on fourth and one. They might have gone into closeout um, mode, but they but they really otherwise didn't. Um, and Ricard uh, only played twenty three snaps in this game. Uh, used a, a lot as a blocker, but he was extremely effective. The 27-yard run, he was effective. He made a good set of pass blocks, generally speaking, in the game. Very happy with with how he um, uh, played in this one. It's just a reduced usage. And it seems like there is kind of a ceiling on his snaps in the Monken offense that is just going to be lower than it was with Roman. Roman basically wanted him in there almost every single play and would play him about two-thirds of the snaps maybe. But with with um, Monken, it doesn't seem like even when the Ravens are running to close out games, that he's going to end up playing more than about half the snaps. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he's a guy that, like I said, you, we all kind of foresaw that his role would be diminished. But for those people who were thinking he wouldn't have a role, I think you were you're 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 out of your mind because like this was the fact that like you know when 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 Monken took this job. He took the job with the understanding that they were still going to keep some of those fund like fundamental, like uh, you know, Greg Roman like run concept, which involved you know fullback, and you know, and, and Monk could never shy away from one, not wanting to use Patrick Ricard because the guy's a weapon. I mean, he's he's a weapon not just in the sense that you know like he's a you know pretty pretty unassuming check down option, but the fact that you can get this like he's like he's almost like, like another puller, an offensive lineman in space, a guy who moves better than even some of your offensive linemen in space. You can guy can get up on the high horse and make those second and third level blocks. And and um, like I said, like that, that one what that one highlight is kind of circulating through Twitter right now of him kind of mm-hmm. taking the guy out the club and putting yep. put put sitting him on his, his own bench. Those are the kind of things that you get with a guy like Patrick Ricard who can kind of help you set that physical tone uh along with a guy like like Gus Edwards. So I think he's he's while his role is diminished, it's it's still to me somewhat invaluable. You know what I love about that about the play you just mentioned is is very measured by Ricard. Ricard took his guy to the sideline, state square, state square, put him ten yards out of bounds. But he also didn't um, over push at the end of the play. He, he he took him out of bounds and he left him there. And normally a guy goes to the sideline. It's a smaller player. It's a receiver or it's a running back making that block. All of a sudden there's six opponents all around him, like pulling off the player and getting physical with him. Um, Nobody's screwing with Patrick Ricard at the end of that play, and and they aren't for two reasons. One is he's huge, and 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 it's just it's a losing proposition to try and go after a guy like that. But but the second part is he wasn't overly physical with the guy he embarrassed on the play. He just dro- drove him out of bounds in the way you know anybody would 
say, yeah, that's the that's the way I'd want to make that block. <laughs> and, uh, and players uh, respect the kind of stuff yeah. too. Ken. I mean, honestly, they're like, damn, oh, like, what, what? Like, you know, like, because like, like, especially when when offense like like Sean McVay, where they 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 get a lot of their guys on the move and try to get square, make those kind of blocks. They probably appreciate that kind of stuff more so than even other other teams would. So, um, I, I appreciate the measure. His, his technique was great. His his temperament was great, and the execution was great. All right, fantastic. Let's t- let's take some uh, mailbag questions, and we'll come back and do our MVPs in just a minute. Uh, and if, if you have questions, by the way, or comments, stick about in hashtag Film Study Mailbag. I want to make more use of that. I want to maybe have an opportunity to do a show that's immediately after games. So get your offensive and defensive questions in early if you can, and uh, I might try and take them on Sunday night if I have enough. All right. Let's have one from Mr. Ed, now at Vengeance, V-E-N-G-N-C-E, on Twitter. is a guy who's been around for a long time uh, and a good friend of the show. Uh, he says, uh, "Are there is there any tendency as to the lack of fullback flat catches this year? Ricard has been a viable check down. I think he means in the past. Um, we really have not seen flat catches in the Monken offense very much. That he was a staple with Vontae Leach for years, and pretty much the only route he would run was that uh, zero yard or the three yard out he would run. Ricard ran it a number of times. We saw three times in that Tennessee playoff game on one drive to get him going mm-hmm. in the second half. Um, but we haven't seen very much. The one big play out of Ricard this year is obviously the one that was downfield uh, for, what, 30-plus yards. Yeah, yeah, against the Lions, I wouldn't mind seeing seeing more of that. Just, I, I just love giving Lamar like easy, easy throws, especially if teams aren't aren't gonna you know honor you know respect the petrol card in, in the in the in the pass and underneath passing game. Let, like to, he's a guy who's like slimmed down over the years. He he, he can scoot. You know, so like I'm all for incorporating Patrick Carden like in the underneath passing game more, especially in those situations where you kind of just like like you need to get a first down or just like need to get a positive play on first down, or even like you know like a, a little, little little sneaky something on, on near near the goal line or on short yardage kind of stuff. All right, here's another one. This is from Angelove85. Now, uh, he or she has been a, a terrific contributor recently. I think it's a she because it's at Nikki622A. Uh, hi, Ken. So excited to listen to this pod. Uh, can you explain the rationale between clock management for the last drive? Since it was four down territory with over four minutes left, wouldn't some run plays heat up clock? Also, thoughts on the tackle rotation moving forward. So let's start with the, the, the four-minute drive. I think we've kind of expressed ourselves in, in, in this in terms of the, some of the frustration of, of um, yes, I thought that was very bad <laughs> um, in terms of, of not getting clock ran out. Uh, and it was one of the real weaknesses in how this game was coached. Um, uh, and, and, you know, there, there are plenty of other things where, where it really worked out well in terms of the coaching. But this was an area where um, I, I didn't think they, uh, they managed the clock very well. Yeah, you know we talked about in the first show. I'm lost up with in there with you. You had a you had a four minute ox, offense that you had to execute, and you executed in three minutes and twenty five seconds. Yeah. So what about the the tackle rotation? Do you think the Ravens stay with that the rest of the regular season? Um. Yeah. I I, I think especially. Well, it, I really part of me think it's, it's it'll be somewhat um, opponent based. And also, like you know, if you're if you're really running the ball well and kind of scoring quickly, or if you're like you like said, when it comes to that, whether the Week 16 matchup against San Francisco, I don't know if you want Patrick McCarry out there against Nick Bosa, even if it is for a handful of snaps. You know, same then they got Chase Young on the other side too. I don't know if you want Daniel Falele out, out there against against Chase Young. You know, protecting not Lamar's blind side, but you know, just you know, just 
those are two elite edge rushers that you're going to be dealing with, and especially late late in games. Now, if it's like early in the games, or, or if you're you know you, maybe you get get a lead on them early, and you know, kind of want to lean on them more in the run game, I'm all for it. You know, um, keeping that rotation up. But it's when when it comes to like you know gotta have it situations or like you know pass heavy scripts as you know natural ebbs and flows of the game, you got you want your best guys in there protecting your uh, your your two hundred and fifty million dollar man. Yeah, I, I I agree completely in terms of how you laid that out in terms of game script and and when you're in when you're in a mode where you have to catch up, have to pass. That's one thing. I think they will look for every opportunity to uh, rest those guys, end of games, blowout games. Um, if they've got a chance, uh, you know they're gonna they're gonna want to do that. Unfortunately, it's not obvious that the Ravens are gonna have blowout games. They might, you know, they might blow out Miami, they might blow out Jacksonville. Um, they they might get a chance in Week 18 to rest some starters, and if they do. I think it's quite possible that that Stanley and Moses might be active, Top of the list. <laughs> but but just yeah, or they might be active and they might just ride the bench. And the two of them, uh, the two of them are play the start and play the whole game. And you you, you know, there's going to be a whole bunch of players you're going to want to sit. You're going to want to sit Marcus Williams. Um, you're probably going to want to sit Kyle Hamilton, even if he comes back and plays before then. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you, it's just so many players. It's a long list of guys you're going to want to rest. I really hope the Ravens have things locked up by by week by week eighteen, so I can get my guy Salah some playing time, man. Like he's he's been, he's been inactive this entire season thus far. I, like I I don't want to see him be activated because of because of injury, but you know it's just something that's near and dear close to my heart as a fellow Alaskan. You know he grew he grew up in Palmer, Alaska, up until the point he was a freshman in high school. And um, yeah, I'd love to see him. You know, get it, especially the Ravens Steelers game. I know it probably won't be as as high as stakes, but for him to get his first activation, um, maybe he gets the activated before but you know it's, it's active before that but if his if this first taste of, of you know of regular season action comes against the Steelers in week 18 I'd be happy man well at, at uh, that would be something to look forward to and I guess if if he was active for that game is actually a pretty good chance that he plays he was active as a ninth offensive lineman already once this season they didn't he didn't play yeah they didn't, he didn't play him though yeah. So anyway, uh, uh, I think that's a that's a great question from Nikki. Really appreciate you contributing on a on a, almost a weekly basis here. Let's go and, and see if we can get one more good one here. Um, let's see. Okay, uh, no, that's we got one about the defense here, and I thought we had one earlier that somebody asked that was offense related. Okay, here's a good one from Spencer Peterson, and he's he's done uh, pods before, uh, uh, but he said he's struggling to think of an example of a player who improved their credit balance more in the minds of the fans as much as Tylen Wallace did in just this one game. Great point, by the way, Spencer. And by the way, that's a that's a comment which is terrific. That we want those. We don't we don't have to have questions. Um, but can you think of another player who's improved their credit balance in a single game? Uh, by more than that, maybe a player who'd been down a little bit. Uh, Nelson Aguilar has been kind of a, a gradual buildup in the bank account as the years gone on. Uh, Odell Beckham's had some big games for me in terms of improving the credit balance uh, relative to where I thought he was at the at the start of the year. How about Brandon Stevens? Maybe as a guy who. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it, it, it's it's funny you say that. I'm, I'm currently working working on something about um, this being another like, like his his uh, his play that that particular play being another example of a redemption arc for uh, for 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 the Ravens. I mean, they have so many guys that have like you know I wouldn't say underperformed, but like felt maybe let's say fell sort of expectations or haven't clicked in their career just yet, or maybe. Be coming up on down years that are, you know that have come up with huge plays throughout the course of this season, and that was that was that for him. And um, I'm, he said, 
as far as the over, over the course of the season, definitely Brandon Stevens. You know, he's the guy that's kind of was like, this is a, he kind of, yeah, he kind of did come out of nowhere. He's a guy that, you know, was kind of like, you hanging around there, like, oh, you know, he like he's supposed to be a, focusing on safety this year, but then, you know, through roster construction um, throughout the offseason, ended up, you know, playing corner. Now he's, you know, he stopped himself as one of the better corners in this league. So over the course of the season, uh, I got to say Brandon Stevens, but as far as like this off of that one play, got to give it to Thailand. Yeah, I, I, I agree on the one play for Thailand. The other guy on the Ravens, I think, who deserves credit for improving his game the most from last year to this year would be Linderbaum, who was, frankly, grossly overrated by PFF. The, the, it's not, not that PFF did anything wrong specifically, other than they combined their grades wrong. And people were not looking at those pass blocking, run blocking separately and saying, we've got a pass blocking problem here, although he's already a great run blocker. And now he reshapes himself. He did some things to, to make himself a, uh, a better pass blocker. It showed up in terms of him now transforming himself into being one of the better pass blocking centers in the league, which is nice to me. That might even be a bigger change than Stevens. Stevens had already kind of been, not that I really had unreasonable expectations, but I had hopes that he could be at least be an average corner based on how he finished the last year. And, you know, that's where the Ravens area of need was. And what was really special about Brandon Stevens is that he's jumped in and he's filled exactly the need that the Ravens had. Tyler Linderbaum, there's never any question, but he was going to start at center both last year as a first round pick and then this year again. So, uh, but his but his level of play has improved by so damn much with that pass blocking improvement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's talk MVPs. Uh, we'll take them down three two. We'll count them down three two one. Who's your number three guy? All offense, right? All offense. Um, yeah, number number three. I'd uh, go with Oda Beckham, man. I mean, he's 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 a guy that get, going against his former team uh, really stepped up for the Ravens in this the, in this game. Led them in receiving yards, tied for lead in targets. Came up with some huge. I mean, aside from the touchdown, I mean, the dude came up with some huge conversions for you know for for chunk gains too. Going down to the ground to get a ball, working the sidelines to get a ball, and um, except even though he only had that with the, the four or five catches, he really made the most of them in this game. Yeah, outstanding game for Beckham. He's my number two guy um, uh, in terms of yardage. He's really getting it done right now, yards per target. Uh, just a big improvement over what he was doing early in the year. And and uh, the Ravens really need that. They need someone to step up in terms of, you know, continuing to uh, to convert on yards per target opportunities. Beckham really took advantage of the game conditions, I thought. And, and he was the best at doing that, his double moves. And um, he had time to make double moves in this game. They didn't really connect on a deep ball to him where he was matched up against the receiver. They did complete, obviously, the touchdown pass that was decidedly deep where he wasn't matched up against a, uh, uh, sorry, a corner, I should say. Um, but uh, but the reason he wasn't matched up against a corner there was that he lost the corner in terms yep. of, the, uh, of, of his uh, move. But he really took advantage of the field conditions and the extended play to, to make good plays. My number two guy. So All I right. guess we... We go to my number three guy next. Yep. So my, my number three pairing I cheated is Flowers and Aguilar. Uh, Flowers, not a huge game in terms of, of yardage per uh, target, but uh, that combination on that play followed by Flowers' conversion of the two-point um, play, just absolutely enormous. And I can't leave Aguilar off the list because he was such a big part of uh, setting that up. 
It's funny because that th- those two guys were my number two. It's because of the, the of the game winning play and the part that they both played in it. Um, like yeah, but just like Zay with this whole the, his entire fourth quarter really, and then and then um, and then Nelson with the party play that game winning touchdown. You know Zay, like I never heard of the term octopus before, but because he got the touchdown in the two point conversion, you know he, he got the he got the octopus. Um, both of those guys coming up clutch for the Ravens when they needed the most on that on that on that final drive of the fourth quarter. They get my number two MVP MVP spots split down the middle. All right, your number one guy. Gotta be Lamar Jackson, man. I mean, you got gotta gotta be Lamar Jackson. I mean, the man, the myth, the lesson. I mean, just some of some of the some not the army because like people always want to make a big deal about his arm ankles, but some of the platforms and non-platforms this guy was delivering some of the passes from. I mean, you got times where you got guys literally draped over him, air, air, whether it's Aaron Donald in his face, uh, Hoyt or whoever it was had him wrapped around the legs on that two-point conversion play. I mean. <laughs> Just the, the the way that he really he truly is the tide that raises all ships in this offense the ultimate equalizer the ultimate elevator I mean he he masters deficiencies and elevates um you know the things that you, that you do well on, on offense and I can't say enough about Lamar Jackson man I mean I know his his stats don't necessarily tell the story of the of the truly transcendent season that he's having this year but the, to me this game was just another another in the long list of masterclass pieces that he's had throughout his career. Yeah, I see. It was a it was a very good game, no doubt about it. Um, one, you know, interception, underthrown ball. I can live with that, uh, given the the other balls he uh, he had on target in this game. Uh, really, his effectiveness as a runner was a big deal. He slightly outperformed his opportunity set as a passer, um, but it's what he did as a runner to get away from pressures in this game really saved the Ravens from getting behind the sticks more often and being having less of a chance to convert on some uh, uh, series during the game. So uh, I think, I think he's the obvious choice. It's not a game where there's, where there were a a whole bunch of individual standouts offensively. So uh, it's a pretty easy game to, to, to pick Jackson. It wasn't a 120 yard rusher in the game that that just had to get it. And there wasn't a a hundred yard receiver with two touchdowns that need to get it either. So Jackson is kind of the obvious call on this one again. And, um, the boring answer, but the right answer, I think. Oh, most most definitely. All right, Josh. Always a pleasure to talk football with you, even between two and four thirty in the morning, uh, <laughs> which we've done again tonight for the for the, the you know hundredth time. Probably not quite that many, but uh, but a lot of times. Uh, tell folks where they can find your work online. Well, you can find all my Ravens content at BaltimoreBeatdown.com. I, would tr- I, turn out, I try to turn out daily content for, for for them as much as I can. And between that and my full-time job up here in Anchor Alaska, working for Anchor Daily News, you can find me on Twitter at JoshReed907. That's where um, I post a lot of my stuff and engage with uh, with my readers. All right. I, I've got to take the time sometime to look at your stories in the Anchorage Daily News uh, and just take a look at that. I hope it's not a case where I'd have to be out there and get a subscription in order to look at it or there's only going to be one article or something like that. But maybe maybe there's an archive somewhere you can just share with me personally of of, of some a story or two you've written from up there because I'd love to read, read your work of uh, covering local Alaska sports. And I, I think that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, I actually cover I covered some national stuff too. I mean, there there are players like there are athletes and people from Alaska who are out there doing doing great things beyond beyond our borders. Um, the the net refer, the, the top ranked uh, women uh, women's uh, volleyball team in NCAA right now has a girl from Soldotna, Alaska. Andy Jackson, the star star freshman, wrote a whole feature about her last week. And there, there are guys uh, J C Schumacher um, who, who who attended school up here. He just won his, his first his first World Cup. Uh, well, not, he didn't win, but he he. Got his first World Cup podium finish, and I've I've done stories on on those 
those people and and that done stories on the guys in the NFL who are um who are doing stuff. But whenever you want, whenever you want to um, look at some of my stuff, man, just let me know. Like even if you don't, even if you don't have a subscription, uh, people who don't have subscriptions, they want to read, read my stuff. I can just always just send them a copy of the text. Okay, hey, that I, that'd be great, and and feel free, Josh. I'd love, I legitimately love to read that. Uh, uh, to get, get a handle on on how you write up a nice human interest piece, which it sounds like a lot of this is in terms of there's a yeah. human interest piece to a lot of these Alaskans. And I, the pride really shows through in terms of, are you na- native Alaskan? I know you've I've asked you this before, but I can't remember. Were you born up there or were you born yeah, somewhere well, down below? I was born, born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska, graduated from West Anchorage High School in 2014. Okay. Well, very good. Uh, the, the pride shows through as a, as almost like the Alaska has national borders to you as opposed to just state borders, the way you know we think of it in the United yeah, States where you just – Drive ten minutes to go to Pennsylvania or whatever here. Man, we feel so isolated up here, and they're really like like people who live in Alaska. Like a lot of them, when you grow up here, you can't wait to get out. But a lot of them, like you, really pr- proud of where you come from. I got like Tyree Wilson, who plays the first round pick for the for the Raiders. He was born up here, only lived up here for two for two the first two years of his life. But he still proudly represents Alaska. Guys like Sala, you know, lived up here until the time he was fourteen, still reps Alaska. Guys like Brandon Peely for the Miami Dolphins right now. He, he was born and raised in Alaska. Played only one. One year of high school ball outside of Alaska, got a bunch of scholarships, went to USC, and now he's now he's undrafted free agent for the Dolphins. So we're we're a breeding ground for some special athletes, man. All right, my friend. Other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter, as you know. Uh, love to get more questions in hashtag film study mailbag. Hit us up. Uh, start hitting up with questions or comments right after the game if you'd like me to address them on a special episode on Sunday after the game. So uh, just an opportunity to get another little short content out there. There are some great questions. There's one today I had to say, you know, we need to set this aside for a special, a short of its own. The question is too good to handle, and it's a, probably a 20-minute 20, uh, question all to itself. But I'm looking forward and hoping the, the, the guy wants to do a short on that. But uh, I want to hear your thoughts, and, uh, and this is how I meet new people and eventually find people like Josh who, who get on and talk about offensive defense or they're – on all off season, uh, Josh is extremely prolific as a writer, and so he comes on for the draft. He comes on to evaluate, you know, these two player shows and all the, the various series that I run during the off season. Josh always seems to be a part of those, so uh, really have appreciated that relationship with him, and hope to build it with more people. Josh, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me as always, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.